well, we pushed them all up market. We're like, well, John, why are you trying to buy a $3 million business when you could you could buy a $10 million business? And it, it's really been cool because it's like, they're like, well, you never thought of that, but I know, you know, SBA financing is only up to 5 million. It's like, well, we have our capital access program. You have the liquidity. You've done this before. You've exited businesses before. You have the skill set. Let's go. You're listening to the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com, a show about how to build your e-commerce business to be profitable, scalable, and one day even sellable. I'm Isaac Porter, and on the show today, we're bringing in someone whose company has funded over a billion dollars in online acquisition loans, and he's here to tell us about how the financing works when you're looking to buy a business. You know, a lot of people think that when a company is looking to make an acquisition, they need to have the cash up front to give the seller or maybe give stock or some combination of stock and equity in their own company. And while some transactions do take place like this, most that I've seen at website closers require some amount of financing to get over the finish line. In particular, I'm really interested to talk with Stephen today about a new option that e-commerce lending has for larger deals that are over the SBA lending threshold, which is uh, $5 million in loan size. So let's figure out how this all works and bring in Steven. Hey, Steven, how you doing today, man? Doing all right. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, man. Good good to have you back on the show. I know you're a, uh, a seasoned guest here on the Deal Closers podcast. We've had you on you know, over the years talking about SBA lending and kind of all the facets there. And I know we've got some, some new changes in the SBA guidelines that are coming out, so that might be interesting. But the thing that really piqued my interest recently as you and I have been working together on some deals is your new uh, capital access program for kind of more middle market transactions that are over maybe $2 million in EBITDA and you know, kind of $8 million in, in loan exposure and up. So um, can you just kind of give us a, a little bit of an explanation on what you've done with that program and what you're targeting and what kind of deals might be a good fit for that uh, new option you've got. Certainly. Um, you know, over the years, you know, online business acquisitions have really evolved where acquisition prices have drastically increased at least the last 10 years I've been um, in this space. And so SBA financing, you know, 10 years ago was fine. I mean, it was adequate, you know, loan amounts up to $5 million pretty much covered all acquisition uh, transactions. But as the industry's really evolved, uh, we started facing a few years ago where, you know, acquisitions were in the, you know, seven, eight, $10 million range, $12 million range. And really SBA financing wasn't, it was kind of square peg round hole. It really didn't suit those types or those uh, size of transactions. So um, during the last several years, I've been on kind of the hunt to find financing to kind of fill that void of um, going from a low market to a lower middle market type of situation where you're having acquisitions, 10, 20, 30 million dollars, you know, businesses generally with an EBITDA or SDE of about two million dollars or more. And uh, and finally, we're able to put together a program, which is called our capital access program um, to really serve that market uh, and really help you know, acquisition entrepreneurs, independent sponsors, and management teams 
that are you know targeting larger transactions to be able to provide financing uh, sometimes not only debt but equity as well um, I think you know we rolled this program out about a year ago and it's uh, it's been doing really well and and really evolving at a very nice pace. Cool. So, um, you know, first time we talked about this, I got kind of geeked out because, you know, my, my background, I, I was a commercial lender for, you know, a couple decades and in, in doing middle market, lower middle market deals. And, you know, at that time, we were doing what we called EV reliant, enterprise value reliant deals. Those are cash flow deals. And, you know, the banks I was with had, in order to, really base those valuations just on the cash flow and not rely on tangible collateral they needed to they needed to be substantial enough for the bank to uh, feel comfortable with that risk profile so I think you mentioned two million and up and so I just wanted to dig into that is that is that still that's the that's kind of the, the line where you're seeing banks come into this cash flow lending space um, and be interested in lending in these middle market transactions. Yeah, I mean, most of our uh, capital providers look for a minimum EBITDA of two million. You know, as you know, they have a lot of cash to deploy, and they can't be deploying it on smaller transactions. So that's why they put that limit in. Some of our capital providers require at least a three million dollar EBITDA or SDE, um, but we've been able to pretty much kind of again fill that void between kind of the enterprise value transactions, roughly seven million and up. So there's really you know, and, and pretty much SBA handles everything below seven million. So it's it's been uh, again a tremendous success. And you know, uh, several years ago, as we started seeing this huge gap between uh, these types of transactions, we knew we had to fill the void, and there'd be a great opportunity, at least for e-commerce lending, to really capitalize on that. And we have. Yeah, and I, I've seen in my own book, um, you know, my average deal size, you know, over the last couple of years went from. 2 million to 5 million to 10 million. And this, this year um, we've had some really monster transactions that we lost. So the average is way up. But um, I think that trend of increasing valuations in the space will continue to um, continue to grow because, because these online businesses that we're focused on, you know, we are focused on e-commerce and technology businesses where the they're monetizing, um, you know, some type of digital channel, uh, they're growing, they're growing, they're consolidating and the sector is growing. And, 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 you know, I've definitely felt a gap in the financing. So I was, I was excited that you kind of figured out a way to, to bridge that. Um, how, how many lenders are you, are you working with or capital providers are you working with right now as part of this program? Probably two dozen. Awesome. Two dozen. Yeah. Right now. So you guys, you know, kind of what all of the, you know, what the underwriting matrix looks like for these various uh, lenders. And then when you're working with a client, what are, what are you looking at to kind of determine, you know, which capital providers you're going to approach for a particular transaction? Well, we know um, we have a very good understanding of what each capital provider, the types of businesses are looking, uh, type of opportunities are looking to, to finance. So we very much take um, a rifle approach, not a shotgun approach. So uh, generally, when we go to, we have an opportunity, we'll vet the business, we'll vet the buyer or buyers, buyer group, and know have a really good, keen sense on which capital pr providers we're going to go to. We generally go to them in, in tranches of five. 
um, and then start having those conversations with the capital providers and being able to to really kind of um, eliminate some and really get down to a short list of of uh, of loan facilities for our clients and really discuss it with our clients which loan facility best meets the need of the, you know the short term and long term goals of our client. Okay, and, uh, so. Yeah. So let's talk about an actual example. You, we're working on you and I are working on a, a transaction together right now. You're you're working with a buyer for a company that I'm representing on the sell side. It's a digital marketing agency. Um, you know, it's just under three million dollars in EBITDA, and you're working with the buyer. So just can you just describe a little bit of what what that process looks like for for the buyer? You know, what does what does the buyer have to do in terms of uh, you know, approaching these capital providers, what what role does e-commerce lending play in that process? And, you know, what does that typical transaction process look like from, you know, kind of the, once the LOI is signed and we have an initial deal structure worked out with between buyer and seller, what's next? Well, you know, first and foremost, you know, in that case, in that specific example, our uh, buyers came to us saying, we're looking at this opportunity and uh, it happened to be listed by you, which was awesome because we get a chance to work together again. And and we vet, vetted the business. You know, what we did was we uh, kind of put together um, a little, I guess we'll call it a teaser for our, some of our capital providers to, to make sure there was interest there in financing that type of business. And, um, you know, you know as well as I do in the lower middle market transactions, um, capital providers, you know, not only bet on the horse, but they also strongly bet on the jockey. And in this mm-hmm. case, we have very strong buyers with that background. Um, so that's the other piece. So we look at the business. Is this an opportunity that we feel absolutely confident we could get financed? And then we look at, is this the type of buyer or buyers that that fill that you know skill set and that liquidity requirement? And in this case, obviously they do. Okay. So What's the timeline for the process can look like in in general, right? So the, the buyer approaches you, you put out that teaser, bank, you know, some some lenders say, yeah, we have an interest. What what happens next, and how does that timeline and process compare to a SBA seven A loan process? What's different? What's kind of the same? Yeah, the, the timeline's shorter, generally around eight weeks. Let's say six to eight weeks. You know, once our clients go under LOI. Um, we have we give them homework. We have them put together um, a pitch deck, um, including you know a little one page teaser, and um, and then so we're able to approach our capital providers and get feedback on that. And once we get positive feedback, we start arranging um, conference calls with our capital providers and uh, and our clients, and uh, we get on those calls and discuss the deal. And um, pretty much, it's almost like uh, going for a job interview, really, for them. Yeah. But we coach them tremendously before any of the calls. And then after the initial call, we'll critique their call, you know, constructive criticism, and then go on to the next call and, um, and start getting interest in the financing of the, of, of the business. Uh, and we'll be actually doing that with that client uh, next week. Yep. For example, we're getting a lot, of, a lot of interest on that specific deal. So that's, that's kind of how we roll with it. Um, Meantime, our clients are, uh, you know, they ordered their quality of earnings report, which is required, and uh, they're going down that due diligence path concurrently with uh, with the financing piece. Okay, and so, in in my experience, when you know, back in my banking days, when I was looking at a transaction like this, we used kind of what we called a green light process, which was 
essentially the client would pitch the deal to us. Um, you know, when I was in my, my lender shoes and we would have, you know, a combination of maybe a loan officer and some underwriters, we'd initially review the transaction, look at the financials, make sure the structure and the cash flow lined up with, let's say the credit policy of, of the bank and then say, you know, you've got a green light to proceed with this transaction. And what that meant typically is that, you know, barring something unforeseen coming up in the due diligence and quality of earnings that we were going to finance that deal um, and, and, you know, felt good about telling the borrower to continue to invest money in, in going through the, the due diligence process. Is that, is that still kind of the process you're seeing? And if so, what's the next step after they say, we have like an initial thumbs up on this. Yeah. So we, we first get a thumbs up prior to the buyer introduction to our capital provider. Gotcha. Um, and once we get that, then we arrange the, the conference call. And usually after the conference call, there's a series of questions. Sometimes there's a subsequent call. Like we have one this afternoon with another opportunity where we're having the second call with our capital providers and our, and our buyer and our client. And then uh, ultimately, they, we start talking about um, the financing terms, et cetera. And, and then, at, you know, with the intent of eventually receiving a uh, formal loan proposal from our capital providers and then discussing that with our client. Okay. So it's, um, it's a process. Yeah. One thing I will say, um, with the lower middle market type, uh, type of financing instruments, there's far less paperwork from the buyer standpoint than maybe an SBA loan. It's it's really you know quality of earnings report. Uh, obviously, they do a background check on our, our clients, et cetera, making sure there's nothing uh, you know nothing there. But um, there's it's not a situation where it's very paperwork intensive like an SBA loan. So from that standpoint, it, it's easier for the client and um, and uh, vastly easier for the client, and in some cases easier for us because we're not. It's not all, all about paperwork. It's about really um, structuring the deal accordingly. And also, I, I don't think I mentioned this, but with our capital access program, you know, there are no personal guarantees and generally the cash, it, you know, the, the deal structures are vastly different than an SBA loan because you're yeah. allowed to have earnouts, you're allowed to have, you know, the cash at close is typically far less than the actual purchase price, as you know, and, um, and you can get really creative on the structure, which I, I love because SBA is pretty rigid on the structure. So I've been, you know, as as we continue to to evolve with this program, it's been really fun uh, in structuring deals in very creative, flexible ways. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about structure and maybe just kind of some examples, because I think, you know, I had a uh, a senior loan underwriter when I was in my early banking days tell me, you know, once you've seen one deal, you've seen one deal. And what he meant is that every deal was a little bit different in the middle market. They were all kind of uniquely structured based on the specific, you know, nuances of that business. And and because the deals are larger, you can afford to kind of have this more bespoke credit structure and a and a bespoke credit agreement as compared to an SBA loan, where it's they're really trying very much to fit every deal into standard terms because of the size of those deals. So, you know, what kind of leverage ratios are you seeing? Um, what what are maybe some typical structures that you've seen recently or, or have discussed with some of the capital partners? You know, generally the structure is kind of what I call three, three, one, one, which means, you know, generally it's um, the, in terms of 
um, the cash at close, it's it's three times EBITDA, and then um, and then one turn of typically a seller note, and then an earnout on top of that. So generally, they're structured that way. Earnouts aren't always involved, but generally, a deal structures that way. Okay, and are you seeing you know mezzanine debt on those? Is there like I think one of the things I think about is you know what does what are the potential levers to pull when we're talking about capital structure. You've got you've got senior debt, you could have seller subordinated debt, you could have, you know, re- retained equity, you can have earnouts, you could have MES financing. Yeah. Are are there all those options on the table for these deals in some combination to get to, you know, a total valuation of four or five times EBITDA? A- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know, uh, one thing that's you know prevalent are um not I wouldn't say prevalent, but it's not uncommon to have um, a seller equity role. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, uh, we have one deal in particular right now where there's seller equity role, which really mitigates risk, not only for, for our buyers, but also for, for the, our capital providers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so talk about a seller equity role, just in case there, you know, somebody listening doesn't understand what that, the term means. How, how does that work in, a, in terms of a deal structure? Well, you know, uh, so essentially what's happening is the buyer of, of the business is only acquiring, let's say, 90 percent of the business. So post acquisition, the seller is going to retain equity in, in the business. Generally, and you can help me out with this, generally it's 10, maybe 20 percent, but generally around 10 percent is kind of the sweet spot. Yeah. So they'll retain that that interest. So that's um, and they'll generally will, uh, you know, retain keep their maybe they continue to be the cfo of the business they're generally involved with the day-to-day post-acquisition not always but they're okay. generally involved with the day-to-day of that so business. to put to put some numbers to that and i'm just thinking out loud here but if we're talking about a a 10 million dollar valuation let's say it's a a two and a half million dollar ebitda business and we're and you know we come to terms at a four times value um that's 10 million dollar total valuation and the seller is going to keep 10 percent it means the seller keeps a keeps a million dollars of that ten million dollar value, and then right. the buyer the buyer's only got to cover the remaining nine million from financing. And if we're but maybe there's a seller note bringing that down to maybe eight million. Yeah, yeah, seller note for eight million. I'm just trying to work backwards through a through a potential capital structure. And then if we've got you know three times leverage on the two and a half, then we're at seven and a half million. And you'd have a five hundred thousand dollar earnout. So you'd have a seven and a half million dollar cash at closing, which would be a combination of the senior debt and the buyer's equity, uh, right. an earnout, a seller note, and retained equity, and that's your ten million bucks. That's yes. That would be kind of a down the middle transaction, right? That is. Um, I would say at the ten million dollar mark, it's probably not that that uh, complex. I would say that's more in line with maybe a twenty million dollar. Uh, transaction. Oh man, I, want, I, want, I love the complexity, Stephen. I want to. Yeah, I know. Generally, I it interests me here. But generally, a ten million dollar transaction doesn't have all those levers. Generally, it's a lot simpler in terms of deal structure. Whereas you get kind of the twenty million dollar range, you're going to have all those all those variables. But uh, but that's very. But you backed in that number very well. Um, I, I commend you. Yeah. <laughs> This is making it up as we go, you know? So, okay. So here, here's some other questions. A lot of lenders won't touch online businesses, 
even at two and a half or three and a half million dollars, you know, co- bigger commercial banks aren't going to get interested in these business models until you get to eight or ten million dollars of EBITDA, and then and then everybody plays in that space. But you know, in this, there, in, in my mind, there's been this gap at you know, kind of two and a half million dollars of EBITDA to, to ten million dollars of EBITDA, where there just hasn't been availability of financing. How did you find these capital partners to put this program together, and how did you? kind of vet them out and you know there's there's thousands and thousands of lenders out there you know as a broker I've been looking for this solution for years and I'm so happy that you you brought it you know brought it to market so like how how did what was the genesis I guess there was an obvious need that was the genesis of the idea but then how did you how did you actually put the program together and identify these lenders that are you know willing to do you know, EV reliant collateral light transactions for online businesses. Yeah, I mean, we we so you know, I, I brought on Brian Dovis, our managing director of capital markets. Um, he is a um, an advisor of e-commerce lending. Uh, he's more of an advisory position, but um, you know, with his twenty plus years of, of lending experience, he was able to uh, uh, allow us to make several introductions and meet these capital providers. And and then it was my pitch to them, saying, "Listen, I know that." You know, online businesses are still a little bit of the Wild West, you know, um, but we've been in the space a very long time. They're very stable businesses, et cetera. And then and then it, 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 the, there was a kind of evolution of, of our capital providers learning more about online uh, businesses. You yeah. know, initially it was like, OK, so tell me what they do. They sell, business, you know, it was kind of a learning process. And now they're very comfortable. And, you know, I mean, we're doing you know, um, you know, we're doing SaaS businesses, we're doing e-commerce businesses, uh, you know, a lot of tech enabled opportunities, digital marketing, like we talked about on our deal, educational technology. So it was just there, they, they, they're growing comfort level on, on this new, um, this new space, or this new arena. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for me, I think it's just, it's just so smart what you've done because these, um, you know, for, in my mind, if I'm putting my my banker risk hat back on, you know these companies that have gotten to two million dollars in EBITDA and up, right? They're much more robust businesses. They've got a lot more infrastructure. They've got like the one we're working on. There's there's 40 employees. You know they've got a real CFO involved. They've got you know more sophisticated financial reporting. Um, that business has a pretty strong recurring revenue model. Um, so if I'm a, a bank looking at this, I'm going, damn, that's a pretty good business. Yeah, there's not. Yeah, there's not forklifts and trucks to to collateralize against, but there's a, a a reliable income stream that you can that you can monetize and secure a loan against. That's, yeah, that's banks very are stable. very reluctant though on asset light businesses. They just yeah. are by nature. So you know we necessarily you know it's so so from that standpoint, um, you know although we do work with some traditional banks, it's mostly you know, SBICs and, and other, you know, private equity firms, basically, that, that are comfortable with, with the, you know, online businesses that do somewhat understand online businesses. And again, they're, they're learning more and more about those things. So, um, but it's just, what, again, I, I'd, I'd much rather have a, an online business with strong recurring revenue and a, you know, a 10 or 15 year track record of stability of earnings right now than I, than I would have a shopping mall with <laughs> you know an appraisal from 2016 <laughs> you know so collat- know. collaterals it's an interesting thing and I, I i've always thought this was a little bit of a 
you know, an overstatement in, in traditional lending because, because collateral valuation can be, can be very volatile. Um, what, what's not volatile, you know, what, what really what banks rely on primary source of repayment is always income from operations. And so that's really where the focus for underwriting, you know, the primary focus for underwriting is for, for every bank is, is primary source of repayment. So collateral, you know, liquidation of collateral is always like a secondary or tertiary source. Um, I think the businesses that, that we're working with have really strong income generating history and potential and so it's it's just so exciting to see you know the ability to put some leverage on these deals in this space because because we can make we can put so many deals together and it's and it's and it's opening up the whole market for us by being able to have access to capital in in this lower middle market space for e-commerce and tech businesses so you know really kudos to you for putting this together and um I'm yeah, I'm excited thanks. yeah I know we you know we're working on several deals with you right now through uh, website closers. And I think there's a lot more to come. Yeah. And also from a buyer standpoint, we've had several buyers come to us looking at um, opportunities, you know, below that $2 million SDE and, but they, they had incredible liquidity. Well, we pushed them all up market. We're like, well, John, why are you trying to buy a $3 million business when you could, you could buy $10 million business. Yeah. And it, it's really been cool because it's like, they're like, well, I never thought of that, but I know, you know, SBA financing is only up to 5 million. It's like, well, we have our capital access program. You have the liquidity. You've done this before. You've exited businesses before. You have the skill set. Let's go. Yeah. And by the way, you're not going to have to PG and put your house up when you buy it. Right. And actually, the, or the client that you and I are working with, which I will not name, um, he was one of them. So, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very cool. And and I'm not, you know, I'm not sliding the SBA program at all. That's been a um, great program. A tremendous program. We've done, you know, I know your firm's done hundreds of those deals. I've I've been working with SBA loans for for many years and I I um I'm a huge fan of the program, but it does have limitations because it's it's made for a specific purpose and this program that you've got is really made for a different purpose. So it's um so that's pretty cool. And just yeah, it's, it's very different. Very different, yeah. So this was something I was thinking about the other day and we, we exchanged emails on it and never got to talk about it. But I thought, hey, we're going to be on a podcast. We can talk about it then. So I've got two clients. I've got one, it's a sell side engagement. We're actively under engagement marketing their company. Another, another company came to me, same category. They're both in, in sports equipment. Just to make the math easy, let's say they're both one and a half million dollar EBITDA businesses. And so the owner of, I'm going to say business A and business B, the owner of business B said, Hey, I want to acquire your, your company that you're selling. Now, if I put those companies together, we've got $3 million of EBITDA and there's probably a bunch of cost savings there too. They're, they're very, they're similar businesses, but with different customer bases that could potentially leverage customers on both sides. Right. And so my question is, could, you know, company B million and a half dollar EBITDA sports equipment business buy company A and put those two together and say, hey, we've got $3 million of EBITDA. And now we do a, a full refinance of you know, the existing debt on, on the acquirer and the buyout debt for the business that's being acquired. Is that a, is that a potential option? Have you done that yet? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we have. So absolutely. Yeah. Because that's another avenue that I think, you know, that's a strategic, that's a strategic acquisition. And when I look at those two businesses together and we'll you know, we, we, we should talk about some of the, the specifics offline that are, you know, kind of more, more confidential 
uh, for those businesses, but they they would fit together perfectly. They would be a great combination of businesses for a lot of variety for a lot of reasons. The customer base, the even the the cash flow that the two products are generating, a lot of recurring revenue from both businesses. Uh, and so I thought there's a case where you've got a million and a half dollar EBITDA business, but potentially it falls into this bucket of being able to um, go through your capital access program because it's going to if company B acquires company A when you put them together you'll have probably more than three million, you know, more than the sum of the parts, more than, you know, 3 million, it'll probably be like 3.2 million. You could get rid of, you know, accounting and some of the marketing functions that are, um, that both companies are paying for independently right now. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, that's definitely a compelling uh, story, but uh, that's definitely something that we'd look at. Okay. All right, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that and I'll, I'll or, make it. Or, you know, additionally, like, let's just say we had a client that, was pursuing a business that was just shy of the $2 million EBITDA, but maybe, you know, maybe he's looking at two businesses that are just shy and you can put those transactions together. Now it's hard to coordinate two tr- simultaneous transactions, but uh, it can be done. So that's another, another, you know, uh, you know, something that we can definitely work with. Yeah. Great. What else does a, does a buyer need to be thinking about if they're, if they're interested in this? Because I think, um, you made a comment early on. You said it's 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 about the horse and the jockey. Meaning it's about the it's about the business and the operator, especially in the space, right? Banks are looking at the buyer and saying, you know, do you have the skill set to be successful with this with this uh, acquisition? Because the bank's making an investment in this in the business too. So, um, you know, what what type of skills are they looking for? And it's probably deal dependent. But in, you know, if you could generalize, you know, who would be a perfect candidate for this for this program as a, on the buy side? Well, uh, someone with direct skill set, really. Yeah. Um, you know, it's industry experience, a successful track record. You know, many of our clients have exited. Now they're looking to buy something more upstream, you know, upscale or upstream. Um, and someone someone who's looking to buy multiple businesses over time, generally. You know, acquisition entrepreneurs, for example, where they're buying businesses over time. It's not a one and done situation because ultimately, you know, when we finance somebody's uh, acquisition, it's going to be a growing relationship. They're scaling the business. So they're going to come back to the trough for larger for, um, you know, more money to continue to help scale the business. In addition to that, oftentimes, as you know, they, they do um, acquire um businesses, additional businesses to kind of um, tack on to their existing um, business. So um, so we're looking for that. Uh, we're looking for somebody who is realistic that has, you know, has equity to put into the transaction. Uh, we have, you know, we have a lot of people calling us that, hey, I'm looking to buy a $20 million business. And okay, how much, how much equity do you have to bring to the table? And they're like, none. We just want to like somehow figure out how we can buy this business without any money out of pocket. It's not going to happen. Yeah. It's literally not going to happen. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so someone who has, you know, capital and or committed capital ready to go. And what, um, what, what amount of capital as far as a percentage of the transaction value is, is it 10% you've got to be putting into the deal or more? Generally 10% of the cash at close. 10% of the cash at close. Okay. Yeah. 10% so not, of the not 10% of the, the, the sale price or the enterprise value, but 10% right. of the, the financed amount. Fine. Yeah. Ten, generally 10% of the cash at close, right? Of cash at close. I got finance you. and what equity they bring. Yeah. So 10% of that um, is generally what, what we look for. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and someone who has a viable business strategy, like, hey, I want to buy this business and here's what I intend to do with it. So it's it's a lot about the narrative or the the, the story behind why a buyer wants to buy the business and what game plan he or she has post acquisition. And that's what really our capital providers really sink their teeth into. They want they want someone with a clear, concise ability to convey the, convey the message or convey the the proposition. Yeah. Um, and we've struggled, you know, a couple of times we have struggled with with some of our clients where they're not really good about conveying their intent with the business. We've had to coach them over and over again in some cases. So um, so that that's a lot of it's about that. Whereas on SBA financing, it's vastly different in the sense that, you know, for the most part, yeah, you can have indirect skill set. You don't really have to convey things really well. And it's just kind of it's checking a box where with the middle, uh, lower middle market type transactions, you got to really sell yourself and what you intend on doing with the business to, to capital providers, be it ours or any others. Yeah. So yeah, because on, on the SBA side, you know, I've, I've done a lot of transactions in the past where it's maybe a first time business owner. They might be an executive, you know, at a, at a, at a larger company and they're, kind of getting out of the corporate world and going, you know, go, following their entrepreneurship and might be the first business they're buying. That works great for SBA buyers. It's probably not the right fit for this capital access program. Is that fair? Yeah, it's fair. I would say with one caveat that if, if someone doesn't have that direct skill set, but ha- their team does, because oftentimes it's, uh, you know, a group of people yeah. acquiring a business. As long as the team has good rounded skill set and something that, that can continue that can actually, you know, work within the, the new business, then that's, that's acceptable. Okay. But if it's just someone going, Hey, you know, Isaac, I want to get out of my corporate job. I hate sitting in a cubicle every day. I'm looking to buy this $30 million business. That's generally not going to work very well. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. And then another, another potential use for this capital access program that I thought of and you touched on it are these bolt-on acquisitions, right? So let's say you've got a client like the deal we're working with, they, they, they acquire, you know, two and a half million, $3 million EBITDA business. And then, you know, a year from now, there's an opportunity for them to buy a $1 million EBITDA business. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's strategic to the, to the business they acquire, meaning that it's going to, it's going to add value to their existing business as well as improve the operations. So could you, Come back to that client, you know, a year later, and refinance the existing debt, and give them another three or four million dollars to acquire this other business that that adds on to their existing business. Yeah, we'd renew their existing debt. We'd make it a bigger uh, debt facility for them. Yes. Okay. Um, we wouldn't necessarily. I mean, so we we would basically uh, lend them more money. Yeah. 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 Same same kind of leverage guidelines. You're just the 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 cash flow that you're basing the leverage on is increasing. Yeah. And there, there, you know, as you know, there are a lot of people out there that are, you know, acquisition entrepreneurs looking to buy multiple businesses over time. And, and, you know, this program's perfect for those types. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm excited to um, get a few of these deals uh, under our belt and, you know, help some, help some people acquire some businesses and help some sellers, sell their businesses. And, um, it's just a great, it's a great fill for a need in the market. There's a, there's absolutely a need in the market for this. And I'm, I'm really excited that you rolled it out and that we're, you know, we're working on deals actively and you're, you're doing these deals right now. 
Um, yeah, and from and from a, a seller standpoint, let's talk talk about that a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, but you know, with this program, just vastly opens up the buyer pool. Yeah, to your sellers, uh, to to uh, the the buyer pool exponentially increases because now you have you know buyers have the ability of financing a ten, twenty, thirty million dollar acquisition, whereas before they might have struggled with shoring up financing for... Well, exactly right, Stephen, because I think before what we were seeing is we were really limited to, you know, private equity groups, family offices, institutional buyers that had their own kind of financing already in place. You know, they had a, they have a big, um, you know, they had bigger credit facilities that they were using. And most of those guys, candidly, want to play in the $5 million and up EBITDA space. So there was this gap of these lower middle market deals. Um, and, and you're exactly right. It brings in a lot of buyers who are, who are strong buyers that now, that now have access to some financing. So you can put some leverage on these deals at this space. Hey, um, the other thing I wanted to just mention while we had you on the show here is there've been, a, you know, some updates in SBA guidelines. I saw there's an article in the Wall Street Journal, I think yesterday, just saying that the SBA was kind of streamlining a lot of lending processes. Any, any, you know, pertinent updates that, um, you know, we should be aware of, uh, and, and be thinking about? Yeah, they came out with, uh, some updates in May. And unfortunately, they've rolled back some of those guidelines. So for example, you know, up until May, seller equity roles were forbidden with SBA financing. So May, I think it was 13th, they said, actually, we're going to allow seller roles. And then the question was, okay, you allow seller roles, you know, do sellers have to guarantee the loan? And the answer was, well, the seller has, you know, moving forward has less than 20% equity stake in the business. They do not. Well, they changed that. Now they're saying, basically, if the seller had more than 20% equity stake prior to the transaction, then that person would have to guarantee the loan. So what seller is gonna guarantee a buyer's loan? So that really- Or what, what seller has less than 20% before they sell business, then they're not the seller. Right, right. And so <laughs> It's always the person that owns the business that's selling it, so. <laughs> I know. So basically, I think they, they unrung a bell. They successfully unrung a bell, unfortunately, because, you know, it was the way they, they initially came out with the guidelines in May was made total sense. It's the fact that, you know, a father could sell the business to a son. Uh, maybe the son worked for the business and now could actually take over the business, um, you know, uh, but now the father would have to still guarantee the loan, which makes no sense. Or maybe it's an employee that's right. run the business for several years who is interested in buying that, whatever, let's just say auto shop from the seller, um, but wanting to keep the seller on and now they're not able to. So it's just, it's unfortunate. Some of the other things did stay in place. For example, um, the seller, um, a seller note can contribute to a buyer's um, equity or injection, which is huge. And theoretically, the seller could potentially buy a business with the little, um, I'm sorry, buyer could, potentially buy a business with as little as 5% out of pocket. And the other 5% would be a seller note on either um, two-year standby, uh, which means no payment or interest only. That would be considered as part of the uh, equity injection. Okay. So that's stayed in place. So that's good news. Um, we've come across situations before May where a buyer had too much money to qualify for an SBA loan, believe it or not. 
Um, that rule went away. The SBA got rid of, um, it was called the credit elsewhere rule. Um, they got rid of that, which is great because we yeah. did have several situations last year where we had sellers that had tons of liquidity, but didn't want to use up that liquidity to acquire a business. So, um, so that, that stayed on the books. Um, so yeah, some changes, but, um, unfortunately, you know, the changes I was looking for, you know, prior to May was, um, the seller, a viable seller equity role. Um, secondly, the SBA to allow earnouts, which they still don't. And lastly, for the SBA to bump up their, their maximum loan amount from 10, 5 million to 10 million. Isaac, do you know they haven't changed that number for 20 years? Hmm. Five million, five million was a lot more money uh, in uh, tw- in two thousand three, right? And they should at least they should have it at tw- even twenty million, yeah. at least fi- at least ten million. So that was that was somewhat a disappointment. But again, it you know it's it's the government, and um, you know they they guarantee the loans. It's a fantastic program. Very few country, actually, no country really has a program like this. So uh, yeah. we're very fortunate to have it. But you know they're the SB is very inflexible and very antiquated and, uh, and they don't listen to the people that are actually making those loans, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, the good news is we, you know, I'm also have a, we've, I've got another deal that, that e-commerce lending is working on financing for that was impacted by those changes. We are able to get that renegotiated. We're moving forward. We're back on track with that. So, um, you know, I feel, I feel good about that. And I think, you know, the, the changes on the SOP, there's always these little tweaks and you have to just kind of make sure you're playing by the rules and, and moving forward. But, you know, we, we do get a lot of deals done that way and um, always appreciate your help getting them over the, over the line and getting them funded. Um, so uh, that's, yeah. No problem there. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just kind of making sure, you know, I think the, the thing that's always been important for me is that um, I, I don't have the time to follow those guidelines and rules. Like, you know, I'm not on the conference calls. I don't, I don't know those. So I kind of rely on you and your team to say, Hey, this is what changed. This is what you can do. This is what you can't do. This is how, this is what would work. This is what won't work. So that's been, that's been really valuable just to know, you know, even if, even if I don't particularly like the rule, it's just, it's important that I know what it is so that we can, you know, put a deal together that's going to work if that's what we're, we're trying to do. Because otherwise, I think you can get, you know, you can get far down the line if you don't have a good advisor that is really knowledgeable and up to date on the SBA process. Like you flag that issue for me right away. And I was able to go back and, and get with the buyer and seller and renegotiate the terms around what we could get financed. And if, if we didn't have that information, you know, we could have gotten all the way down the road and then realized it wasn't going to work. And that, and that, you know, that could have been a, uh, it would have been harder. Like the, the longer something like that goes on, the harder it would be to, to renegotiate the deal. So, right. And that's, um, you know, that's one reason when I heard the, uh, the rule change of the rule change, I, it was just a verbal um, on an SBA call uh, or a call with the SBA. I immediately, obviously, I reached out to you going, uh, you know, we got a problem here. <laughs> well, and what was so, what was kind of cool about that, Stephen, is that um, you know, you, you called me and told me, and you're like, I think this is going to happen. It's not official. I called, I called my buyer, I called my seller, and I said, guys, look, I think there's going to be a change. My seller called his attorney. His attorney said, no, there's no change. And I said, no, I think there's going to be a change. You know, we got to, we got to, we want to get in front of this and make sure we're following it. And then, sure enough, it was. So I think because I knew that that was coming early, you know, it it, it enabled me to to re to renegotiate the deal based on that change. You know, I didn't, it wasn't, 
it wasn't the best scenario, but it ended up with a good outcome because because you kept us at the front end of the of the curve. So um, plus, you look like a rock star because you were in the know before yeah, it was. Well, even that's released. that's exactly right. Yeah, and I and I took full credit for it. No, <laughs> no I, I told him. I told him you gave me a call and said that you you know that you were you had confidence that this was going to be changing, but we actually knew about it. Bef- you know, two or three days before it actually got changed. So that was that was cool. And unfortunately, we had to wait, what, a month and a half before it was actually put, uh, before the SBA put it on paper. So that was that was a challenge because everything else was just kind of like rumor, almost yeah. rumor. I mean, I was on a phone call with the SBA, but nobody knew. Nobody had like written confirmation of it. And it just came out yesterday. Oh, I mean, officially, here we are, yeah. you know, August 4th. Um, it came out, I think yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. So yeah. we had to wait a month and a half or a little over a month yeah. uh, to actually, you know, have confirmation that it was indeed a situation where the SBA was unringing the bell, but, but there you go. Katie, the point, right. Yeah. I, by the time that actually, by the time that actually was documented, I had time to go to my buyer and seller and their attorneys and both of their CPAs and, and restructure that whole deal, get the LOI updated and we had that all done before the actual change even was documented because yeah. because we were working with e-commerce lending through that transaction. So, um, you know, that's that's a big that's a big value add. Otherwise, I could have just been sitting there and not even known that was coming up until today. And and then you know we would have been because what we did we hadn't already negotiated the the APA. We had a draft APA, but it hadn't been like red lines back and forth. So. You know the 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 benefit there is we didn't waste legal expense with that change. It didn't it didn't cost anybody money, um, right. and that's where people you know obviously get disappointed if you if you have attorneys review a document and then you're like oh wait a minute that doesn't count we have to get a new document and start over. Um, so that was it was really helpful that we knew about that early. Great. Good. All right. Anything else, Stephen? That uh, that you know the listeners should know about with either capital access or SBA program. Um, you know, if, if they have questions about either program, um, you know, reach out to me, Stephen, with the PH at ecommercelending.com. And we have our SBA website at ecommercelending.com. We're rolling out our capital access uh, program website here shortly. And um, so stay tuned on that. That was Steven Spear. And if you're looking to make a purchase and need financing, head on over to ecommercelending.com. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by websitecloasers.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate us, write a review and press the follow button and share it with your network. And of course, if you're looking for help selling your e-commerce or technology business, be sure to visit websitecloasers.com. This episode was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Isaac Porter. Follow me on LinkedIn, and we'll see you next time on the Deal Closers podcast.